This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No No Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me today are Kevin... Natalie and James to talk about the 1-1 draw with Wolves and Surfmore on Saturday. But first, before we get to that, a quick email from John, who emailed us in at podcast.nonanever.net, our usual address. He said, hi guys, love your podcast. Only site I can find for in-depth reviews and gossip. Keep up the good work. Lifelong support since 1964. Thanks for your email, John. Please do get in touch if you enjoy the podcast as well. Um, but now we'll move on to talking about the football. James, we'll start with you. Disappointing result, really, for, for Burnley at the weekend, but... Do you think it was fair a draw or roll? Yeah, no, I don't think we can really have any um, you know, complaints for the final outcome. I don't think we did enough to win the game. Um, obviously, it's a game that we should have won comfortably. Um, but I think it was possibly even you know, the, the worst performance of the season, maybe. I mean, the, all four members of the midfield are absolutely uh, abysmal. Um, and, you know, apart from a, a, a wonder header from Volks, uh, we didn't really create a lot either. Natalie, what were your thoughts about the game? It was a scrappy one and then it looked like we were going to win it and then threw away two points at the end by not defending a set piece. Yeah, it was a very disappointing afternoon, wasn't it? Um, I think we all went to the game feeling quite upbeat and feeling quite positive. We'd had, was it six games, six straight wins back to back and we were feeling invincible. And the the game from the kickoff for me had a very subdued feel to it. It felt a little bit flat. Um, we were all lifted, obviously, when Sam put that amazing header. Actually, he took it really well in the back of the net, and it honestly thought like we'd done what we've been doing all season, and you know, underperformed, but managed to grind out a win. And it was just so, so, so disappointing to concede. I agree with James. I think a draw was a very fair result. I don't think we did win anywhere near enough to win the game. And it's almost as if if the goal had had been earlier and they'd have equalised on said on the seventieth minute, it wouldn't have felt as bad. It was. It was just that thing of you just literally needed to last 10 seconds and you didn't. So it was, yeah, disappointing. It's a funny twist of fate as well, wasn't it? But literally a, a couple of seconds earlier, um, MK Dons had missed a penalty yeah. against Brighton. Yeah. Uh, and it was also the same the same time of the game, but Middlesbrough scored their winner against Hull as well the night before. Um, so that was a particularly annoying um, last minute of the game. I think it is worth mentioning though as well that even though we didn't deserve to win, um, and Wolves probably more than deserved a point. The corner they actually scored from um, wasn't a corner in the first place. I'm glad you pointed that out actually because I've seen some people blaming David Jones for the goal because 
he lost possession in the build-up to the Wolves' break that won the corner. That's quite a few steps back. You have to go to find someone to blame. It just feels like Jones is the whipping boy and any reason to be able to blame him for it rather than the linesman or any of the players who should have been marking the guy who scored um, is what gets taken. Um, Natalie mentioned the, the frustration and there was quite a lot of frustration from the crowd that I want to come on to a bit later. But um, That header by votes, by the way, I saw it described as routine so I'm glad you two have, have put that straight and described just how good it was. I couldn't believe it when I saw that it had been described as routine. Um, Burnley not quite at the races. Why do you think that was, James? It was just a very flat performance. Burnley just didn't seem to get going. I think it just really seemed to struggle in the midfield. Um, you know, there was, a, there was a pass early on that, that really you'd normally expect to be routine for Barton. He's looking for Gray, you know, breaking through, and, and he just overhits it. And I think after that, I think it was maybe a sign of things to come because the you know Jones and Barton, I don't think could barely make a pass between the two of them. Um, our field was missing for much of the game and, and Boyd was ineffective so um, I think really it came down to the fact that the four in the midfields weren't performing the, the two up front, I don't think you can really have many complaints they didn't really get a lot of service um, you could say there was a chance for Gray early on where you didn't expect him to take uh, control of that ball and he didn't um, and obviously folks did well for the goal but I think it, it always comes down to the four in the middle um, you know, I don't think the defence was particularly bad I don't think Heaton had a good game, though. His kicking was absolutely abysmal. I think it's the worst I've ever seen him. Um, you know, when a ball's coming back to him, it was like someone had thrown a live grenade into his six-yard box and he was just doing anything to get rid of it. His kicking was that bad. There was one in particular, actually, I was going to bring up. We'll obviously talk about Heaton in more detail later on with regards to um, the England non-call-up and then call-up. Um, but there was one where he really put us into trouble by rushing a kick out and put it straight to the Wolves player. Um yeah, in the first, actually, that's I think notable for another reason is that I thought the referee did have a bad day, even though we weren't very good. I think um, you know Wolves got away with a lot on uh, on Forks, and also I think in the the one you're talking about, Barton's dispossessed, and I actually think he was fouled, and then Heaton's poor kick leads to a chance that me has to clear by chesting off the line. But um, I really didn't think we got a lot out of the referee. Obviously, it's disappointing not to win when you're leading going into injury time, Natalie. But overall, Burnley's still in a very strong position, still unbeaten in 2016. Do you think some of the reaction was maybe a bit too over the top? Obviously, you'd never like to see your team give away a win at the end. But there were boos from a very small minority at the full-time whistle, which is surely just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and I've got absolutely no tolerance for that whatsoever. Um, let's let's look on the, the positive side here. And I, I understand completely that fans are frustrated. It's horrible to see um, you throw away, you know, those those points in such a stupid manner so late in the game. And it's very unlike us at the moment. I have sympathy for fans who feel frustrated because we are now so close. We're eight games left till the end of the season. And we were within 30 seconds, 30 seconds of being nine points clear of, of the um, third place, which regardless of the title race, that looks like it's automatic promotion sewn up. And then all of a sudden, like um, Kevin was saying, you know, Don's miss a penalty, we concede a goal. And it just changes, the, the, you know, the, the, comp- the landscape completely. I get the frustration there. But let's be realistic here. Even though we didn't win, we are still, what, 15 games unbeaten? 
We're five points clear at the top of the table and there's only eight games left. And I believe in the mental strength of this side and I don't believe that they'll bottle it like some of our title competitors have. And I think we just need to all take a, a deep breath. I've seen on Twitter so much this week people saying that the international break is going to come at just the right time for the players, give them a break. I actually extend that to the fans as well. I think it's going to come in good time for everybody just to chill out a minute, just look at what we've done since Boxing Day and get everybody mentally prepared for this running towards the end of the season. I think that's spot on. I think um, we've obviously had time to to reflect, especially as we're we're day late recording this week, but... um, I think if you'd have offered any Burnley fan this position, firstly at the start of the season, secondly at Christmas, thirdly six weeks ago, then people would have ripped your arm off and people seem to be disappointed that we now only four points clear at the top and five points clear at the bottom. It seems a bit ridiculous. Um, Kevin, we do need to talk about the the fans because Sean Dyche um, had some comments to the press afterwards that were uh, a bit unusual we'll go through what he said first Um, he said we've been on a fantastic run and no one comes here and just lays down and lets you win you know the crowd seems to think they do at times I asked for patience and I didn't think there was that much I don't understand why after the run we've been on it ain't bad in real terms but whatever you do it ain't enough sometimes and then he said it's not exactly drastic, we're in good shape, we're in good shape, physically, mentally, still look strong and resilient and it still bodes well. Um, is it, Has it been blown out of proportion a little bit? No one likes to, to be criticised as fans, Kevin, but is, is he justified in what he said? I think there are three parts to this. First of all, um, Dice is probably right, right in what he says. Um, the a negative atmosphere around the club is probably not going to help the, help the players. Um and we all know that when the when the turf is is really behind the team, that's when we play the best. Um, two, I think Dice probably shouldn't, shouldn't be saying what he's saying, um, regardless of whether whether it's right or wrong. Um, I think criticizing the fans in public is is never going to be the most the smartest move. Um, uh, and and also, I think the only thing I got from that was Dice maybe he's feeling a bit of pressure. Uh, and if if that's right, then that's only going to add to the nerves from the stand. Um, and I think that's the third point, really. Is is I think it's understandable that fans are going to be a bit more uh, on edge at this time of the season. We're at, this, we're at the stage where every miss pass is potentially the difference between promotion and relegation. And within that context, yeah, fans are going to be a bit more nervous. You're going to get a few more moans and groans because the stakes are so much higher. Um, and and fans are going to be a bit, bit more nervous and and worrying and frustrated. And I think that's that's part of parcel of. Uh, 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 of what comes with, with being up at the top of the table at this stage of the season um, and uh, uh, yes I think the fans are it, it's, it's certainly maybe not ideal I don't think any fan goes for a match thinking oh, oh I'm, I'm going to be frustrated I'm going to mourn the team and I don't think that's anyone's intention I think it's just it is just nerves um, and, and that's where it's stems from so you can you can fully understand it and I think you can fully justify it um, but while it might not be the best thing in the world for the players, I still don't think Dice should be coming out and, and saying what he said. I think really this has been a problem at the turf for a while, sort of the, the atmosphere, and um, it's definitely not a recent thing. And I can see both sides. That obviously, fans have paid the money, and, and if they're not happy, they should be able to, you know, express that. But I think for me, the concerning thing was how early on, um, you know, the moans and groans started. I think 
you know, the position we're in, the within the first really half an hour, I think if it's not necessarily going your way, I don't think you should be getting, you know, on on players' backs. And that's um, that's Dash's point, isn't it? He said that he asked for patience and he didn't feel that he got that. And there have been games recently where we've left it quite late, so yeah, I, I feel maybe where it becomes more justified is is second half. There's been a lot of times this season where you know we haven't we haven't been up to standard in the first half, and Dash has given the players a t- talking to at half time. We've come out a completely different side. I actually thought we came out even worse in the second half on Saturday, and you know then maybe you can sort of see why some fans maybe are getting on the team's back. We know it's been a, you know a trait of Dash's time here that he, he doesn't really like to make substitutions. And on the most part, it's worked out to our best interest. But I think on Saturday, I think it was disappointing for a lot of fans that um, you could see that something needed to change. And, you know, when you had Kitely, Taylor and Marnie all on the bench, and I think it was clear to everyone that really midfielders where it wasn't working out for us. I think it was frustrating for fans to see that we weren't going to bring one of the three on and try and mix it up and change it a little bit. Okay, we'll come on to the, the subs a little bit later. Um, but, Natalie, what what are your thoughts on this? It's not really like Dash to say something like this, but he doesn't usually say something unless it's quite calculated. It, do you think it is a sign of pressure or is it just genuine frustration and a, and a bit of annoyance at not getting the support that he wants? Um, oh, what do I feel? I, I don't... I agree with you in that it, 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 is, it is quite unlike him, but we are starting to see this creep into his his game every now and again. This isn't the first time that he's had a pop at the, the fans, especially at home. Um, he's always incredibly positive about the away following and the, um, you know, the, what's the word I'm looking for, the re- reception he gets there and the, you know, the, the, the atmosphere that the away fans create, but he's always recently seems to be a little bit critical of the turf. I... Oh, I don't think that he's justified. And actually, I've said this, I think we talked about this the last time he, he had a bit of a, a pop at us. I'm not entirely sure it was justified in that I, I didn't feel it on Saturday. I didn't feel that the turf was edgy. And I didn't feel that, I mean, everybody sits in different places, so different people will hear something. James says he heard moans and groans quite early on. Um, so obviously the people who were doing that were quite close to him. Where I was sat, there was, no, there was none of that at all. And I didn't hear anything until probably the last 10 minutes of the game. And I put that very much down to nerves. Now, I wonder whether Daesh is getting a disproportionate view because of where he stands throughout the game. If he's got supporters behind him who come, you know... <laughs> at it all the game and he only ever hears that small minority of voices and that is going to influence his opinion of the crowd in general. I would like him to um, refrain from saying these, especially in a public forum, especially in the high profile position that we are now, because other media outlets will pick up on it, our competitors will pick up on it and it just gives us a feeling. Like you, you just hit the nail on the head then, Jamie, you just said, do we think it's pressure? Well, I don't think it is, but it might be perceived as being pressure. And do we really want to give our competitors any little inkling that there might be something wrong or any advantage whatsoever mentally to try and get one over on us? Especially with when we've got to play the likes of Brighton and Borough, Borough being at turf as well. So I think he should just, even if he thinks it, keep his mouth shut. I think this is it. I agree with what Kevin said. I think maybe maybe his point is right, but I don't think he should have said it. I think 
we've talked about um, Karanka blaming his players, and I think that's one of the things that you just don't do. I don't think you criticise the fans either, because I just think it's it's it doesn't gain anything. I think if he wants the better atmosphere at the turf, and I think we're all agreed that the atmosphere could be better at the turf, despite having the home fans in the cricket field, which has been a positive development, there's other things you can do. Why not ask someone like Joey Barton, who is quite vociferous on the pitch anyway, when there's a break in play, ask him to go over to the fans and gesticulate and give it a bit of that and ask for some noise. The fans will respond to that. They're not going to respond if you have a go at them in the press when you don't have a home game for three weeks. It seems very odd to me. And also, when he's saying this, it's in the last few days before the deadline for the early bird sales, I think. So he's slagging people off when the club's then going, can we have 500 quid for next year? It all seems a little bit odd to me, but I don't know if we are blowing it out of proportion, if it's just something else to talk about with. Obviously, Burnley not winning for a change. It just seems a bit odd to me, and I, I don't think it was um, a very good choice of things to do from Dash. Um, the other thing he was talking to the press about was potential loan signings. The deadline is on Thursday. He says there's a couple of irons in the fire, as there always are, but he says that he doesn't think they'll come to fruition. Um, James, I suppose there's Lloyd Dyer still to come into the match day squad. Ashley Barnes isn't far away. We do have players coming back into contention. Dean Marnie's back as well. But do you think we could do with something a little bit extra just to try and get us back over the line? Um, no, I don't think so, really. I think, I think actually we're almost at risk of being um, you know, a little bit congested and, and struggling to keep people happy. Because obviously, uh, Michael Carter last time round played a big part in promotion and he's not really seen uh, a lot of game time at the moment. And, and I imagine he's not you know, over the moon about it. Um, and I've seen Matty Taylor as well, who's not really seen, I can't remember the last time he came on. And, you know, he obviously was playing Premier League football previously and I think he felt he'd maybe have a, a bigger role. And, you know, on Saturday when we didn't make a change, I think players like that obviously might be looking at, you know, their position and thinking, well, why didn't I get a crack of the whip if, you know, we were playing the way we were? And I think if you bring someone else in, you know, particularly in the midfielder area, you might be running the risk of just having... You know, a, a few too many bodies and, and make sort of disrupting that group harmony that that Dash does talk about a lot. Um, and obviously, with Barnes coming back up front, it's difficult to see where you're going to need bodies there. I mean, maybe one question might be: Do we have enough bodies at the back? You know, if we do get an injury log jam, because obviously when King was out injured, uh, there was a little bit of a worry, I guess, that you didn't have a lot of depth there. Um, once Tarkovsky's into the side, who's you then back up if me or Tarkovsky gets injured? Which, you know, look at the way Ben Mee plays. There's a definite risk he could get injured because he puts his face in front of almost everything. So um, maybe maybe defender to strengthen down the down the stretch. But you know, I, I think we're set up for what we need. And um, really, if anything, uh, from transfer side of things you know maybe want Dash to have one eye on, on what he can do in the summer if he can get a jump start on other people Fair enough I, th- I think um, it's it's an unusual position that Burnley are in in that we've got players not in the match day squad at the moment like Overstad and Kevin Long have not been in the squad in the last couple of games And I, I see your point about bodies but I do think um, clubs at the top will be seen if they can get anyone else in it's not necessarily a good idea I mean we've seen Borough, Derby, clubs like that signed a lot of players and it doesn't seem to have moved them forward that much but I think always be on the hunt for anything else 
Um, yeah, I think when you're in the chasing pack, though, as well, obviously there's that aspect that they maybe feel they need a little bit of something to, to bring them up to our level. But, you know, you've made a good point. Overstar's not in the side. And, you know, apart from his, his performance at Fulham, where he's probably a little bit off the pace, he's looked a really promising prospect. And obviously, if you can't get him game time, then what can you offer someone else you bring in on loan? That's true. Um, most of us have been saying for a lot of the season that the squad is strong enough to compete already. So I suppose it would be perhaps hypocritical to then be demanding an extra signing. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts? Do you think we could use somebody else or do you agree that we've, we've got enough? No, I agree absolutely with James. Um, I, I don't think there's any point to bringing in anybody in. Um, we, I think the, the, the I think the starting eleven we've got is, is very strong. Uh, we've got I think we've got decent options from the bench. Um, if Dyche um, remembered, he, could, he, could, he was allowed to use them. Um, and and yeah, and I think like James also said, one of our strongest assets is that is the, the group as Dyche likes to call it. Um, and and I think we've we've used one of the, the smallest sets of players in the league again. I think this year, um, and obviously that is a big strength of ours. So it's it's not like we need we need extra bodies in there. And actually, you could argue that anybody else coming in could potentially have, have more of a negative effect than a positive effect. So, yeah, I, I, I've, I won't be keeping an eye on, on any incoming transfers. I don't think we'll be any, and I don't think we need to be any. OK, fair enough. Talking about strength in depth then, James had a point about substitutes already brings us on quite nicely to Tweet of the Week. So, over to Natalie. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the week. Yes, tweet of the week. This week was Claret's a little bit challenging. What are you trying to do to me when I'm trawling through the hashtags and trying to find some brilliant tweet and you're all just mourning that we've dropped two points against Wolves. Oh, so Bromley slamming I, the listeners. Exactly. Fury. I've, I'm, <laughs> adopting, <laughs> I'm adopting the Sean Dyche management tactic and I am criticising our listeners. Tweet better tweets? No, I, I jest. I shouldn't do really. Um, this week's tweet of the week came from Matt, who is Rigsy, Rigsy, yes, Rigsy BFC. And he actually summarises what we've, uh, you know, very nicely alluded to in the last, you know, 10 minutes or so. And he says, Re Dyche's poppet fans. He adds to nervousness by ignoring the best bench we've had in years. The game was crying out for changes. Over to you, Jamie. Well, we do do this quite a bit, and I don't, I don't know if we've got anything to add to, to what we said before. But Jim felt we should have had substitutions on Saturday, Kevin. What, what do you think? There have been, there have been games this season where people have been crying out for subs, and then he's left it and then we scored. So that justifies his approach sometimes, but on Saturday, should he have done something else, especially with the midfield performance so poorly? Yeah, well, Sean Dyche is, is very, very proud, isn't he, of, of, of saying that he he, he knows that if, if a team's not playing well, they just need that two-minute spell where where something does happen um, and, and we can go on and win the game. He's got the confidence in the team to, to, to keep it as it is. Um, and to be fair to him, it, it, it seems to have worked quite a lot this season. Uh, and that's often been his defence when we've we've not played well, but we've gone and got a win. Is that he doesn't want to change things? He knows that he's got he's got a lot of confidence that it will click at some point, and that's all we need. Um, that said, it's all well and good when it does work, but when it doesn't work, he, he leaves himself open to questioning. And yeah, I, I think it was very clear on Saturday that something needed to change in the midfield area. 
Um, and when you look at some of the options we've got on the bench, um, I thought, yeah, it's quite surprising that nothing did happen. We've got some very strong players on there and who could have come on and couldn't and have changed games this season. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we, we've talked a lot about Dyche's substitutions. And I think he's mentioned it in the past. He's mentioned that he's been, he's about being criticised for making substitu- not making substitutions. Um, he's, he, he's obviously very happy with, with how he goes um, about that. But, yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one because obviously it has worked a lot this season. There's been many occasions when we've not played well. He's stuck to his guns and it's worked and we've come off and actually ended up getting a late winner. Um, so it's, it's difficult to... To take an overall assessment, really, when you're taking the camera, it has worked a lot. But when it doesn't work on occasions like Saturday, it is so frustrating. Um, when you you see the game's crying out for something um, and you end up not winning the game, um, it's frustrating. So, yeah, a lot of frustration. And I, I really wish he could have brought somebody on. I think the flip side to the, the faith thing, all right, if, if, say, David Jones is having a poor game, we'll use David Jones because people always like to have a go at David Jones. Dave Jones is having a poor game, so you take him off. Then what's that going to do to his confidence if he's had a slightly dodgy hour and then you take him off for somebody else? But on the flip side, what's it say to someone like Dean Marnie who came on at Fulham, had a really positive effect, helped us to win the game? Next game comes, we need someone to come on and make a positive impact and help us to win the game. Dean Marnie doesn't get on the pitch. Natalie, what's your view? I, I've i got mixed feelings on this, which I, I tend to have on a lot of these points. Uh, sometimes, like you say, Daesh can be quite justified in, in correcting his approach. On Saturday, I was so frustrated all the way through the game. As we've talked about on tonight's podcast, it was so obvious all the way through that it wasn't working. And, and actually, for me... Um, I first started to notice that things were going wrong quite early on in the game. I think it was after about 20 minutes. We started the game with Boyd on the right and he was linking up really well with Loughton and they were getting some really good passes together and there was some really good creative play happening on that wing. And about 20 minutes in, he, sw- he swapped them around and he put Arfield and Boyd on opposite wings. And it was at that moment that I started to notice that the game just wasn't flowing well and it had gone flatter and we just didn't seem to be creating anything anymore and, and nothing seemed to be working. And that's when it then linked into the, just the whole of the midfield collapsing. Um, I, At that point for me, that's when I started to, to look at whatever tactics he was adopting that game, the strategy wasn't working and we needed to make some changes. And it was a game that was crying out for early substitutions and he just didn't do it again. How did we only have Hennings on as the only substitution? Like, I have nothing more to add than, you know, what you guys have already said. I was, he should have made a change earlier and it, it was one of those rare occasions where he really started to get on my nerves. Um, yeah, I, I thought really for me that part of the problem was our, um, our shape. And Wolves clearly sat quite back and, and were happy for us to plod around in the midfield. And really, we needed to you know to get in behind them and, and do something with it. And I thought there was times in the second half where you looked and you saw the wing Arfield was on, which was the left in the second half. And there was just this huge space that we weren't really taking advantage of. And I thought, you know, if you put like Cartley on and had Cartley out there, maybe he tries to get at his full back and you know, put a ball in the box or even, you know, Matty Taylor, then maybe we could have started to penetrate them and, and get some service to Volks and Grain. And really, I think the game was really lacking us trying to get in behind Wolves because they sort of set themselves up that 
well, if Burnley have the ball in midfield and, and don't get at us, then what damage are they going to do? And, and really, that worked for them in the first half. And then second half, I think it just fell apart even more. And our field was coming more and more into the middle. Um, but when Barton and Jones were, were playing the way they were with their passing, I just don't think they were ever really going to find him. OK, well, one big issue to, to go through, and that's international corps. Um, but first, I want to introduce what we'll be doing on next week's podcast. It obviously, is the international break, so we'll have no game to preview or go over. So what we've come up with doing is a no-name-ever fans forum. Now, the club had a fans forum a couple of weeks ago, and we have shamelessly ripped that off. Um, <laughs> there was um, a mixed response to the fans forum, I think, of, saw a couple of comments from people suggesting that the, the range of questions wasn't particularly good um, so this is your opportunity to ask better questions of us on next week's podcast otherwise there will be no podcast so if you have any questions for, for us about what the club's doing or what we could be doing for next season anything Burnley FC related basically please do get in touch and we will need good questions to make a good podcast so please get in touch you can via Twitter the Twitter name is as ever no name ever net, or you can email us podcast at no net is the email address. You can also get us through Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. We are no name ever net on Facebook as well. Um, I'll do another plug for that at the end of the podcast. But now we need to talk about Tom Heaton, who was left out of the England squad, but then called up when Joe Hart picks up a calf injury in the Manchester derby. Um, Kevin, we'll start with you. We were you surprised that Heaton wasn't in the original three or were you expecting Fraser Forster to come in and sort of steal his spot? Um, it, yeah, it, it was. I think it was one of those which, which could have gone either way. Um, but I don't think it was It was a huge surprise to see him not get his, his spot, particularly when I think he can, England's goalkeeping coach is, a, is at Southampton, um, which was obviously going to be a, bit, a little bit of a benefit to, to Forster. Um and yeah, I think obviously Heaton's playing very well this season, um, but I think Forster's Forster's doing quite well himself. Um, and obviously he's coming up against uh, better quality players. Um, and obviously you can only you can only play against what's in front of you. But the logic goes that the likes uh, of of you know Premier League players are going to be a, a much uh, test for goalkeeper much more than the likes of. Um, well, players like who are playing for likes of Blackburn um, and those lowly, uh, lowly outfits. Um, so yeah, it was a slight disappointment, but it was it wasn't certainly wasn't a surprise. It's I think it's one of these that you can argue both ways, isn't it? I mean, Heaton's done nothing to warrant being dropped, but I'm sure he was aware that when he came in, Fraser Forster and Ben Foster were both injured, so it was a case of who who else is there that he got in. Um, so he's done nothing wrong to warrant being dropped, but I'm sure he's a, he's a smart guy. I'm sure he's aware that he was effectively keeping the seat warm for somebody else. Um, Natalie, what's your view? Obviously, it's brilliant that he's been called up um, now, but were you a bit disappointed that he, he wasn't in the three at first? Yeah, of course. We 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 
covered this point before where we somehow feel that we have a vested interest in the career development of our players you know they feel like one of ours and you, and you know you, you take it a little bit personally don't you when something like this happens you you know I had a little bit of outrage I was like, how dare you drop Tom Heaton is the best thing ever um but you're right realistically he wasn't going to um push his way up that ladder without injuries or you know suspensions or anything like that and you know I'd be I'd be amazed if, if Tom was surprised at all I think he'll have been fully briefed by the England setup that he, he probably wouldn't been in this in the long term and probably wouldn't go to the Euros. It doesn't strike me as being that professional, um, you know, outfit would leave something, you know, leave a player so uninformed. Still, it was disappointing, but I am delighted for him because it does mean that he is still being thought of and, it, you know, it's still an honour to be called up to play for your country regardless of the circumstances. And whilst he probably accepts that he is fourth choice, at least he is still a choice and he isn't being overlooked completely. Look at poor Scott Arfield, who's had to deflect to Canada because his country completely ignored him, despite him playing in the top level of English football. Um, he got completely ignored. So I think, you know, disappointment aside, I think Tom would be really pleased that he was still in the setup and, you know, got called up straight away as soon as, as soon as Hart got injured. It's really, I think it's good for us as well. I think uh, Heaton's talked a couple of times at how uh, being a part of the England setup and, uh, you know, Training with with all those players has helped him improve as a player. Um, so the more time he spends in that environment, it's only, it can only be good for us. I think that's fair. On our field as well, Gordon Strachan then had the the nerve and the temerity to come out and complain about the lack of players he had available to him when he's been ignoring our field for for two three years. Um, on Heaton, it's worth noting as well that he does seem to have moved up the pecking order a little bit because Ben Foster's available and playing again and. John Ruddy is also playing Premier League football, so he's been selected even though there are available English goalkeepers who he could have got in instead. Um, James, what are your thoughts? Obviously, it's, it's difficult to assess without having claret-tinted glasses, but what do, what do you feel? Yeah, I, I think, Tommy, I, I think Eaton's just been unlucky, as he's come at, he's at a time where he's hitting his prime, where I think England aren't really short of goalkeepers. You know, I think there's a you know, there's probably more good English goalkeepers than there's been, you know, certainly in my lifetime right now. And, um, you know, I think it's always been the case in the past that sort of one person's had the job and there's not really been many other people consistently challenging. Whereas now I think, you know, there's you know, there's a couple of players who can challenge for that, that position. And um, unfortunately, it means, you know, it's a time when Tom Heaton's probably going to be the one who, who doesn't make it. And I think in a way that's, that's working in Burnley's favour because I think, you know, with the quality of goalkeepers available now, it's keeping him from bigger clubs of interest, um, you know, which is a benefit for us. I think that's fair as well. I think it's also worth pointing out that I think Forster has probably earned the chance to come back in. If he got fit and then not really done much and then got back in the England squad, everyone would have been right to be furious, but he came back in and kept six clean sheets in a row. I don't know what else he could have really done to stick his hand up and go, hi, I'm back, can you pick me again? There's people saying he's made loads of mistakes recently. I don't think that's true at all. I think he's made one maybe bad mistake. Heaton's not made a lot of mistakes either, but I don't think there's that much between them. Um, So, yeah, good luck to Tom Heaton during the international break, and hopefully um, he doesn't come back injured or anything because that would be terrible. Um, One final thing then, a light note to end this week's podcast. Some of you might have seen this already, but... The Middlesbrough local paper, the Gazette, 
did a completely bizarre article where they were forecasting the rest of the season and then talking about it like it had happened. Uh, Natalie, you saw this, didn't you, where they'd, they'd mapped out, what was it, if um, if results matched the the reverse fixture early in the season, they'd worked out that Middlesbrough would win the league and Burnley would finish fourth or something daft. Yeah, it was quite frankly one of the most ludicrous bits of reporting I've ever seen in my life. I ended up kind of biting my tongue a little bit and had a little bit of um, niceties with the, the journalist at the Gazette who was responsible for it. But yeah, in a nutshell, he wrote this, I think it was called something like, it's almost scientifically proven. And they looked at the remaining fixtures for the top four sides and said if the results were identical to the reverse fixture at the beginning of the season, um, Middlesbrough were going to be flying high, win the league, and Burnley were just going to absolutely crash and burn. But the thing that really wound me up about it more than anything, and I could have, you know, it's, it's a bit of lighthearted journalism, but the, it just, he took the opportunity in the article to really, really, really wind us up. So he made a big deal about how Burnley's collapsed and they looked like they were nailed on for the title, but only two points were now in the, under the, the end of the season and they just they fell apart and after the disaster, and he just really hammed it up about how bad Burnley were. It's almost like they were taking an opportunity to have some frustrated um, goading at us and that, that wound me up more than anything. And I, honestly, it was ridiculous. Oh, I could probably spend 10 minutes complaining about the Gazette's shoddy journalism on the podcast they really do wind me up I think it was partly trolling but like you say they were doing it deliberately to wind Burnley fans up get Burnley fans on their website and get clicks but it was the way it was reported really straight faced you could tell he was trying to be funny but it was hilarious because of how bad it was <laughs> James the way the, the way the media behaves up there it seems to be like the wild west it's like absolutely bizarre but Middlesbrough fans were quite buoyant this weekend, as you'd expect, with them closing the gap a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I read that article and I thought it was, you know, I think it's something that even if a, a fan blog did, you'd be disappointed. Even if a fan blog did it, you'd be disappointed to read it because, I mean, you know, while it is interesting to point out that really against the teams we've we've got left to play it is shocking that there's you know only one win out of our remaining games in the in the previous uh, leg but we've also really hit our stride you know in the turn of this year i mean if you look at the form table we're something like 15 points clear aren't we in 2016 to the next best team so you know to to write any sort of article predicting our season is going to finish right taking form into account i think is um you know, embarrassing, like you said. Um, but Borough fans do seem to have um, maybe a, a you know delusion about them at the moment, and you know they have obviously got a little bit closer with our, our result of the weekend. But I think if you were to look at it, you know, on what fixtures are left, and they've got to come to us rather than the other way around. I think you'd still be thinking, and you know, the bookies are certainly still thinking that that we're in the driver's seat and. Really, it's for us to to slip up rather than you know Borough to maintain the sort of their form. It's it's really for us to throw away. I'd still say, Kevin. I suppose the the aim of the piece was to get people a bit up in arms, and we probably played into their hands a little bit by bringing it up on the podcast. Uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably the aim. Although I've got to say, <laughs> just delete the last five it. minutes. All right. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit worried. But maybe they do have a crystal ball after we did draw. Um, as soon as they, the game after they published that piece, we we draw, we drew our game, which was which matched our 
our earlier result against Hull, some uh, well against Wolves. So it's maybe they're maybe we're onto something, and maybe we will only get that one more win for the rest maybe of the season. It's like uh, and finish Natalie's, fourth. Natalie's reverse psychology again. Yes. <laughs> oh God, don't. Thankfully, has has, uh, gone in the bin. (laughs) I think we'll leave the podcast there for this week. Then we'll we'll preview Brighton a little bit on next week's podcast, which, as I mentioned earlier, will be a fans forum type thing. So please do send in your questions. You can do so via Twitter, which is Twitter um, at nonenevernet. Sorry, the email address is podcast at nonenever.net. Please email us any questions you want us to answer on the fans forum next week or you can also email us any feedback or suggestions or anything like that for the podcast as well and also one final final thing is if you listen to the podcast through itunes please consider leaving us a review that really helps us to get our podcast out to more people um positive reviews preferably but feel free to leave any constructive feedback in there as well but that's it for this week thanks to natalie james and kevin for joining us thanks to the the Gazette for giving us something ludicrous to talk about for a couple of minutes and we'll be back with next week's podcast. Goodbye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.